Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to another episode of the second season of Influenced. My name is Blake Sokoloff. I'm Robert Dean. And this week we're doing the kind of seminal alternative 80s and 90s band R.E.M. formed in 1980 at the University of Georgia by vocalist Michael Stipe, drummer Bill Berry, bassist Michael Mills, and guitarist Peter Buck. Kind of uh, appropriate that. They met in college, University of Georgia. It's it's about an hour outside of Atlanta, but they built their uh, their listening base in uh, college rock. So yeah, yeah, I definitely. mean, very appropriate that they started out in college. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely like a a, a band of a group of kind of hipster guys. Yeah, and uh, they were definitely very early on very inspired by both inspired by like the folk rock of the '60s. Like, well, I'm gonna play here. One of their early influences, The Birds, here I'm going to play Eight Miles High off their 1966 album, Fifth Dimension. But they were kind of equally inspired by a lot of the more early alternative music like Patti Smith and Lou Reed's work, both with his solo career and with the Velvet Underground. But that kind of folk rock sound was definitely a major influence in their early, early work. So here's... Eight Miles High from The Bird's Fifth Dimension from 1966, one of their earliest kind of influences that brought the band together. Yeah, I mean, the Birds influenced a lot of rock bands, but uh, definitely R.E.M., as you said there, Blake. Definitely. Uh, we're going to touch on some other um, influences on R.E.M. I, I just wanted to make the point that R.E.M. influenced so many bands. Oh, absolutely. Um, in their career. A lot of 80s and 90s bands. Uh, we'll touch on a few of these later in the podcast, but I mean, the list is really long. Coldplay, Jayhawks, Wallflowers. Cowboy Junkies, obviously Nirvana, or maybe not obviously, but Nirvana. We'll touch on that. Um, Mazzy Star, 10,000 Maniacs, Counting Crows. The list just goes on and on. So as we get into REM here, it just in the back of our listeners' minds, just in terms of how much impact they had on the music world. Definitely, definitely. And another one of their kind of 
influences that I think gave REM some of their cool factor is um, obviously Patti Smith, as I mentioned earlier. So I'm going to play just off of her kind of her biggest album, her Jemmy Iovine produced 1978 album Easter. I'm going to play Because the Night here real quick. But that was definitely a major influence in Michael Stipe's lyrics and his vocal delivery was very much that kind of post-punk Lou Reed, Patti Smith influenced kind of sound and feel with the vocals. So here's Because of the Night by by Patti Smith from the 1978 album Easter. So R.E.M. formed in, in 1980, as we said at the beginning of the episode, and then it pretty quickly they were they got to making a little bit of music. And then in 1981, they released the song that we opened the episode with Radio Free Europe, which would then kind of get them enough kind of notoriety around sort of the college radio and college scene that they were able to sign with the independent record label IRS Records. And on IRS Records, starting in 1983 with their debut album, Murmur, which featured their their first single, Radio Free Europe, they released an album every year from 1983 to 1988. So for five years or so, they were really heavy in the studio and really heavy on the road. So they, yeah. were, they were making a ton of music for the first kind of half decade of their career. And the first... Five of those albums from Murmur to their 1987 album Document were all on IRS Records. Mm -hmm. So here I'm going to play kind of one of the biggest hit songs from that kind of early period off of their third album, their third studio album released in 1985, Fables of the Reconstruction. And it, this song is called Driver 8. And it really kind of, they, they kind of start to get out of that um or they start to kind of expand on the kind of jangle pop sound of their early work like radio free europe is kind of very very birds-esque musically with those jangly guitars and kind of quiet rhythm section and everything so they started experimenting with just getting a little louder adding some more electric uh influences and things like that and here's kind of the the take of that off of driver eight from the fables of the reconstruction 1985 album. So here here you go. Here's Driver 8 by REM. Yeah, definitely a classic, classic REM song off of Fables. I always think of Driver 8 as 
sort of that quintessential early REM sound. Definitely, definitely. And like kind of, again, one of the quintessential parts of that early REM sound was kind of, if it, it it was maybe for a lack of confidence, but it didn't necessarily sound bad at all. But mm. Michael Stipe talks about how a lot of that early REM stuff was him kind of just murmuring the lyrics. And I mean, their first album was <laughs> Murmur. called Murmur for a Reason. Yeah. And um, it would kind of just be like, he would kind of just sulk around on stage. He wasn't super braggadocious yet no. and didn't have the flamboyant kind of uh, showmanship yet that he would develop later on. But he... He started kind of getting a little bit more inspired by some of the more honestly braggadocious kind of bands from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like he was very into David Bowie and also the the band Big Star, which I'm going to play the uh, the single September Girls off of their 1974 album Radio City here in just a second. But pretty soon after kind of getting getting a few albums under their belt and getting a little bit more inspired by this more flamboyant and braggadocious music, Michael Stipe definitely began to experiment with kind of his vocals and making them a little bit of a more upfront and bigger part of the sonic kind of field, which would also let the band kind of expand out of that kind of jangle pop sound that they would be kind of known for in their early work. But here, real quick, is September Girls uh, off of the 1974 Big Star album Radio City. Anytime we can sneak a big star song into our uh, podcast uh, is a good day. Oh, like, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Always fun with the, the big power chords and fun vocals and yeah. big rhythms and everything. And that was that kind of more braggadocious and infectious kind of sound is definitely something that R.E.M. sort of started getting into by by their kind of fourth and fifth albums here. So now off of their fourth album, Life's Rich Pageant, I just want to real quick play the song Fall On Me, which was one of the first kind of big R.E.M. singles to have that kind of more braggadocious and more upfront Michael Stipe performance. So here's Fall On Me off of Life's Rich Pageant from Well, I appreciate you uh, tossing me a bone there, uh, Blake, playing oh, yeah. my my favorite, my own personal favorite, <laughs> uh, REM album. 
Definitely. I mean, that's a great one. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, kind of after that is like the tipping point of like what their independent record label could sort of do for them. Yeah. Because like sure. they 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 were successful at this point by their by their fifth album or sixth album or so. But they, they a lot of these songs had kind of been like minor hits. Like they weren't necessarily getting on the Billboard Top 100 or anything like that, which. Not that that was like a major goal for them, but they wanted no. to be a successful band. Yeah, and like you said, college radio is where they were at. I exactly. mean, you know, that's where they're getting played and exactly. where they were playing um, playing their gigs. Exactly. So they wanted to kind of maybe break out of that a little bit. So this, so they actually, the next album after um, Life Search Pageant document in, in 1987 is their last album for IRS records before they would go on to get signed to... Warner Brothers Records, obviously one of the major labels in the music industry, but but on document, their last for IRS, actually the first album that they would work with the producer Scott Litt, mm-hmm. who would become their kind of main producer for the next 10 years or so right. of the band's career. And he definitely maybe didn't up the songwriting. The songwriting was probably already there, but he definitely upped the level of production and the level of like hi-fi recording mm-hmm. in kind of that REM was kind of taking part in. Like if you listen to the one I love, the song off off of uh, Document that I'm going to play here in just a second, you can really hear that just like the hi-fi, you can hear almost like the, the like pick clicks on the acoustic guitar and like there's a, so much more space in the music, more complex arrangements as they start getting into more experimental kind of territory. So here's the one I love, one of their biggest hits at that point for the band as well off their album, their 1987 album document. So here is the one I love. This one goes out to This one goes out to the one I've left behind A simple prop to occupy my time This one goes out to the one I love Fire! Yeah, I mean, you hear that sound uh, and compare that to, you know, Life's Rich, Rich Pageant, the the album right before that we played Fall On Me. I mean, just uh, Scott Litt brought it to just a different level. Definitely. I mean, the drums on just the one I love are, autom- are already like way more in your face, way, way punchier, way yeah. bigger. The the whole the whole band, the whole the guitar tones and everything just kind of ups which brings the which brings the songwriting the great songwriting even more to the forefront mm-hmm. of what the band could do and now with the sort of Warner Brothers record label and budget and promotion thing behind it they cert they certainly were kind of becoming one of the biggest bands kind of in the burgeoning alternative rock scene by the kind of the turn of the 90s and definitely kind of helped by sort of getting into Scott Litt's kind of sphere and also just onto the Warner Brothers kind of dock. It definitely gave them a little bit more of an edge. Like they were always, they always had a little bit of an edge to their kind of jangly sound. But like you'll hear off their, this this song I'm going to play here now off their first Warner Brothers released album in 1988, Green, the song Orange Crush. It actually feels a little bit heavier. It almost has like a little bit of a punk kind of energy to it 
which would definitely become one of the major kind of reasons they became such a well-loved band by a lot of the 90s rock scene like the like Nirvana and the Jayhawks and bands like that. So here's Orange Crush off the 1988 album Green by R.E.M. Yeah, that that REM sound, and uh, and it would be three years before they recorded their next album. Exactly. So that's that's another thing that being on the major label definitely afforded them a little bit more time to breathe and also to tour and things like that. So they were able to kind of take their time with their albums a little bit more, and also just like with the increase and in like the ability to tour and things like that. Now with Warner Brothers, they were actually kind of becoming one of the kind of biggest rock and guitar bands in the world and with their next album out of time released in 1991 they would kind of become one of probably the top five or six rock bands in the world for for a for a couple years span here especially off the back of their biggest hit and their most successful song so far absolutely the um losing my religion hit kind of their biggest biggest hit almost has a billion plays on spotify now just 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 from looking uh, but here I'll just play it real quick, just a just a snippet of their their biggest classic hit. But here's "Losing My Religion," which also shows the band kind of expanding on what they could do with a major label budget and like bringing in a lot of extra instrumentation and other musicians. Like Peter Buck kind of starts to really hone in on his mandolin playing and everything like that on a lot of these songs off of Out of Time and similar albums to that. So here's. Losing My Religion, one of kind of R.E.M.'s probably signature songs. Probably a good point to, uh, of our podcast here to mention that uh, REM was, to your point, one of the biggest bands oh, ever. Actually, they sold almost a hundred million yeah, uh, albums. Definitely, so. they were they were definitely playing arenas and stadiums. And out of time, hit uh, number one in both the U.S. and U.K., which is definitely a pretty major thing for definitely. any one band to kind of hit number one with the same project in both of those markets. And that it really does go to show, like how massive their influence was that all these other massive bands at the time, like Nirvana, 
would pretty often tout R.E.M. as one of their biggest influences. And actually, kind of a, a funny little point, like Peter Buck, after the Out of Time album and they their massive success and everything, and he kind of they kind of all had the money now to go <laughs> figure out what they wanted to do and kind of just live their own lives for a while. Mm-hmm. Peter Buck actually, because he was really inspired and really into the Seattle music scene at the time, ended up actually moving to Seattle. And Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, who also had just found massive success in their own right, were kind of looking as to where they would kind of move once they actually started their, began to start their family. And they found out that Peter Buck had just moved to Seattle and they ended up moving into a house like two or three doors down yeah. from Peter Buck because they specifically wanted to live in the same neighborhood <laughs> as the guy from R.E.M. Yeah. So it definitely just goes to show you kind of how big their influence was. So here, here I'm going to play a uh, quick unplugged kind of acoustic version of Nirvana's Come As You Are from their MTV Unplugged in in New York. But it really goes to show you, obviously, like the, the, the studio Nirvana is very heavy, but hearing it kind of acoustic, you can very much hear that REM influence coming through in the songwriting. So here is the acoustic MTV Unplugged version of Come As You Are by Nirvana from 1994. Come down some mud, salt Man, you know, that unplugged version just really brings out the influence that's obvious from R.E.M. Absolutely. With Nirvana. Definitely. I mean, like the vocal is almost like a Michael Stipe kind of murmur. It is. Kind of early, early Michael Stipe vocal, definitely. Yeah. And another kind of major thing that I think R.E.M. doesn't necessarily get talked about all that often with just doing and in terms of their alternative influence and everything is they... They definitely sort of made acoustic instruments and things like that, like mandolin, banjo, Mm -hmm. acoustic guitar, even slide guitar, things like that. They made those a little bit. They made that kind of instrumentation a little bit cooler for rock bands that were younger and things like that to kind of work with. Because before that, acoustic guitars and things like that would kind of just be associated with like the oh it's the acoustic mm-hmm. portion of the rolling stones album or the right. the country music or whatever so a band's like mazzy star which i'll play just a quick bit of their song holla off their 1990 album she hangs brightly were definitely another kind of offshoot of the kind of rem influence kind of seeping into the rest of musical culture and that mazzy star is definitely like a very like like Hope Sandoval's lead vocal is pretty much the centerpiece of every Mazzy Star song, which is then just kind of filled in with a little bit of acoustic guitar and maybe some piano and some slide guitar and things like that. So it's a very, very stripped back, very acoustic based instrumentation for what is otherwise like considered kind of an alternative rock band. So that was definitely something that R.E.M. helps kind of usher in for a lot of artists into the 90s. So here's Hala, Af of She Hangs Brightly, the Mazzy Star debut album from 1990. 
Great example of the long list of um, influencees that uh, REM had, uh, Mazzy Star, but a long, oh, long list, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, by kind of the mid-90s, like like the, all these kind of bands that started started coming out of the woodwork, REM were definitely like, as as, as we've said, kind of at their the height of their popularity and they were definitely kind of experimenting a little bit with kind of what they could do with the kind of major label budget for their albums and things like that. Like mm-hmm. for their next album, 1992's Automatic for the People, they were getting very inspired by classical and Baroque music mm-hmm. and actually worked with John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin uh, with him arranging string uh, parts and string string sections for, I don't know if it was the whole album, but a number of songs on the album mm have string arrangements arranged by D- John Paul Jones from from Led Zeppelin. Um, and that definitely just goes to show like the level of other musicians that they were able to collaborate with. And like they were kind of able to start getting in the room with some of their influences and yeah. some of their favorite musicians. So right. here's Man on the Moon, one of their biggest hits off of Automatic for the People, um, where you can really hear just like the, the strings are kind of they're 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 getting very 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 ethereal and kind of almost heavenly and everything and like the 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 band is definitely experimenting with what they can kind of do with the major label work for for a band so here is man on the moon from the 1992 album automatic for the people here's a truck stop instead of st peter's yeah 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 Michael Stipe still cranking out um, interesting lyrics. This one oh, about definitely. Andy Kaufman yeah. in 1992, uh, 12 years after they started. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like they were, they had a lot of, they had like almost 20 years of kind of longevity and putting out a ton of music. Mm. And uh, I mean, Automatic for the People came out only a year after Out of Time. So right. they were definitely a band that could work quickly when they wanted to, but kind of after automatic for the people, they did begin to kind of take a lot of time with their music and they kind of, oh, for the rest of the nineties, they actually only put out two more albums, I believe monster and new adventures in hi-fi, which kind of saw the band after, I think kind of around the monster and new adventures of hi-fi tours. There has been kind of a lot of health issues where like three of the four guys 
in the band got taken out at various moments. And I'm not entirely certain off the top of my head what all of their health issues were, but I do remember reading from an interview with Mike Mills, the bass player, that at least the health issue that he uh, was dealing with was actually like life threatening for a time period. So like the band was was definitely working hard as a band, but also just like working hard as people to kind of be the best they could be. So it ended up actually kind of getting to be a little bit too much for Bill Barry, their their longtime drummer. Yeah. And so um, with the 1997 release of New Adventures in Hi-Fi, Bill Burry or Bill Barry actually decided that that would be his last full release with the band. Like he would occasionally pop up in concerts and things like that prior and he would i think be involved a little bit with their next album but um this album new adventures in hi-fi from 1997 is sort of seen as like the last sort of classic rem album it's mm-hmm. also their last album with scott lit yeah. he would go on to do other work and i think they just wanted to work with another producer after working with him for 10 years but i do want to play the song ebo the letter off of new adventures in hi-fi from 19 19- 97 and this song actually features one of their early influences patty smith on some backing vocals i believe she's on a number of songs off this album uh but the fact that they were able to start working with some of their their main influences like Mm -hmm. patty smith and things like that i do think they were kind of beginning to be like okay we've taken this band to where we really want to take this band to so here from 1997 is ebo the letter by R.E.M. featuring Patti Smith. Take you far, the star thing, I don't get it. I take you over. Aluminum tastes like fear. Well, R.E.M. did manage to put out one more album in the 90s, uh, Up in 98, and then four more in the 2000s. But I'd have to say after that album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, that was their, you know, that was kind of the end of their classic period. Oh, yeah, I would agree. And I mean, like, they... They did. They 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 talk about a couple of the having some trouble making a couple of the albums after Bill Barry left. Like they talk about up the the 1998 album being sort of confusing to make because Bill Barry left kind of right after they rehearsed the song. So he was there while they were rehearsing the songs, but then they ended up having to get session players and use drum machines to actually record the songs. And then mm-hmm. and then they also talk about 2004's Around the Sun actually not they didn't enjoy making the album very much and like they didn't feel like it was as good as they wanted it to be necessarily Mm -hmm. so they actually talked about in their interviews in the last kind of decade or so they talk about wanting 2008's album accelerate and their last album 
collapse into now to kind of be leaving on a high note after yeah. their Around the Sun 2004 album they weren't super into. So I want to close the podcast out with the last single from their 2011 album, Collapse Into Now, which is called Uberlin. Um, and the, they they kind of talk about making that album as sort of their farewell for their fan base and for their their kind of way in the music industry. And and they didn't tour it at all off Collapse to Now. They kind of just made the album. And on the album cover, it's actually the only album that actually features the band on the cover. Mm. And Michael Stipe is actually kind of waving goodbye yeah. on the album cover. So they yeah. talk about using that as like a way to kind of say goodbye almost to their fan base. And they wanted to kind of leave the fans with, with something. So... I'll play Uberlin off their 2011 album, Collapse Under Now. But this has been a great episode of Influenced on R.E.M., one of the kind of seminal alternative bands and definitely one of the most important bands to come out of the 80s for the, for the 90s and into the 2000s. Their, their, their impact on, on, a lo- on so many bands is pretty, pretty uh, breathtaking. Yep. So thank you guys. I've been Blake Sokoloff. I'm Robert Dean. And and this has been Influenced. And again, you can always now find us on Instagram at influence.podcast if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing and know exactly when new episodes come out. But this has been R.E.M. for season two. And here's Uberlin off their final album, Collapse Into Now from 2011. Their kind of swan song. But kind of given the fact that like, REM are all still very good friends and mm-hmm. Michael Stipe and Mike Mills have been doing interviews actually for the 20th 25th anniversary of New Adventures to Hi-Fi recently so they're all still very friendly so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be that surprised if in a few years we see an our reunion REM tour or something like awesome. that but but I I do think they kind of wanted to leave their their fan base with a swan song so here is Uberlin from 2011 collapsing in now by REM. Thank you guys so much. This has been influenced. Hey, now, take your pills and hey, now, make your breath.